The Devil Within, the hit true crime podcast, is back with a terrifying journey into the mind of a madman. In the 1970s, New York City had it all. Hip-hop, punk rock, and the son of Sam. The Devil Within, a season in hell, is available now wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine a vacation waiting outside your door when you get home. Discover a new way to escape the stress of everyday life. Picture soothing jets massaging your back, relieving all your aches and pains. Sleep soundly without medications or supplements. Call 1-877-861-4672 to get $1,250 in instant savings, including free delivery. Call 877-861-4672 now or visit thermospas.com to schedule a free on-site assessment. This podcast may discuss topics graphic in nature and possibly triggering to survivors. We value the safety and well-being of all of our listeners. So please practice personal discretion. Now, enjoy the show. Hey, I'm Paige. And I'm Natalie. We're the hosts of the Murder Diaries podcast. We bonded over tacos and true crime after we matched on Bumble BFF. You know, like any normal millennial using an app to meet new friends. Every Thursday, we upload a new episode. In each episode of The Murder Diaries, we tell true crime one story at a time. One week it's my turn, and the next week it's mine. You still think it's in my head, but I'm walking with the dead. It's our first episode since launching the Patreon. As a reminder, if you become a Murder Diaries Patreon bestie, you're going to get one bonus episode on the first Monday of every month. You're going to get regular episodes one day early, so they'll release on Wednesdays, and you're going to get a shout-out in an episode. We're going to go with our first set of shout-outs right now. Thank you to our besties, Corinne, Andrea, Marnie, and Maggie. We can't wait to watch our Patreon grow, and we hope that you are enjoying the bonus episode. It's 8.20 p.m. on Monday, October 22nd, 2018, and for the first time in a long time, 21-year-old Lauren McCluskey is in good spirits. As the University of Utah senior walks through a campus parking lot, she calls her mom, Jill, who still lives in Lauren's childhood home 600 miles away in Pullman, Washington with her dad and younger brother, Ryan. According to Jillian Friedman's article for the Deseret News, which, by the way, is the most comprehensive piece on Lauren's case, complete with in-depth interviews with both parents. Jill answers the phone from her basement gym. She's on the Stairmaster, while her husband, Lauren's dad, Matt, is nearby practicing yoga. Jill puts Lauren on speaker, and both Jill and Matt can hear from Lauren's lighthearted tone that she's happy speaking in a, quote, lively and animated manner. Jill asks her daughter, how are things going? To which Lauren responds, so good. I've got good news, mom. Lauren's always been a stellar student, but recent events have affected her schoolwork. So she's ecstatic to report to her tenured college professor parents that she aced a quiz for her health communications class. She then mentions that there's a, quote, big assignment due at midnight for her online theater class, which is why she's heading straight to her apartment at that very minute to finish it. But overall, she feels good about it as well. The conversation winds down and Lauren prepares to end the call saying, I love you, mom. Just then, Lauren's no longer talking to Jill as she abruptly screams, no, 
No, no, no, no, no. And then there's nothing but silence. From that moment on, the McCluskey's lives would never be the same. But before I finish telling you what happened on that fateful night, I want to tell you about who Lauren was and what led to this moment. After all, her story started long before October 22nd, 2018. Lauren Jennifer McCluskey was exceptional on and off the track. She entered her first Junior Olympic track event at just eight years old, setting records in high jump, long jump, and the 400-meter run. From then on, Lauren was a force to be reckoned with as she competed in track events across the U.S. from middle school through high school, eventually graduating from Pullman High School with honors and accepting a track and field scholarship at the University of Utah, where she majored in communications and was set to graduate in spring 2019. She pictured herself living post-grad somewhere warm like San Diego, working in public relations or academic advising. But that was a dream that would never become a reality. Is your daily grind getting you down? A Thermospas hot tub may be the solution. Just a few minutes under those powerful, soothing jets, and all your stress seems to melt away, like you're lying on a cloud of bubbles. You'll not only feel better, but sleep better, too. Call 877-861-4672 now. And for a limited time, save $1,250. Call 877-861-4672 or visit thermospas.com to schedule a free on-site assessment. Is your daily grind getting you down? A Thermospas hot tub may be the solution. Just a few minutes under those powerful, soothing jets, and all your stress seems to melt away, like you're lying on a cloud of bubbles. You'll not only feel better, but sleep better, too. Call 877-861-4672 now. And for a limited time, save $1,250. Call 877-861-4672 or visit thermospas.com to schedule a free on-site assessment. Lauren was more than a track star with a 3.77 GPA. Her mom, Jill, describes Lauren as, quote, someone who really cared about other people and her friendships, somewhat of an introvert. If you got to know her quickly, you found out she was full of things to say and genuinely cared about other people. Lauren slowly but surely began to shed her introvert shell in the months leading up to her death. She started attending local karaoke nights where she performed and belted out tunes. And according to her obituary, shocked friends by trying her hand at stand-up comedy, which she was really good at. It really seems like Lauren was coming into her own and finding out exactly what she wanted out of life. She really was. And the following story really is a good example of that. This one Saturday night in September 2018, Lauren and her friend Alex make their way to a new bar called London Bell on Salt Lake City's Main Street. The two wait in a long line that snakes around the corner just to see what all the fuss is about. But they plan to keep things low-key, having one drink at the most before calling it a night. As they reach the front of the line, the two friends come face-to-face with Sean, the London Bell's bouncer with quote-unquote bulging biceps, as one resource puts it. Lauren's instantly attracted to Sean. He's a tall, good-looking guy, but his energy is really what draws her to him. Jillian Friedman describes that first meeting in her article, writing, quote, There was something about him that caught Lauren's attention a quiet confidence bordering on intensity, unquote. Lauren and Alex then make their way inside and are met with a packed bar. Patrons occupy every single table, leaving them to wander around hoping to find a seat. That's when Sean swoops in like a knight in shining armor, steering them to two empty seats, thus saving the night. 
He returns every so often checking on them, and it's clear he's interested in Lauren, who boldly gives Sean her number on a cocktail napkin when she heads home for the night. And this was one of those things that was completely out of character for Lauren, but she felt compelled to do it for the first time ever. She truly was coming out of her shell. And that's what made this night so exciting. Sean wastes no time texting Lauren to make plans to go rock climbing the next day. When Lauren arrives at the climbing gym for their date, Sean surprises her with roses and then takes her to dinner with some work friends. Jillian Freeman writes that Lauren sounded, quote, infatuated when she called her mom after the date, telling her everything about the date and Sean, who had grown up in New York, enlisted in the military at 18 and now worked part-time as a bouncer to pay for his community college classes, where he was hoping to finish his associate's degree in computer science. Jill's excitement for her daughter gives way to worry when she finds out Sean is 28. Moms worry, it's what they do. And at first, Jill is concerned about the fact that Sean's much older and more experienced than Lauren, who's never had a serious boyfriend. However, she decides not to tell Lauren anything against dating Sean because she comes to the realization that Lauren just has to grow up and learn for herself sometime. She would be graduating college in a semester after all. Instead, Jill tells Lauren, quote, I'm happy for you. And she meant it. From then on, it's full steam ahead. The relationship accelerates quickly and the two become inseparable. From the first date onward, the two spent every single night together staying at Lauren's student apartment. In fact, it seems that Sean never goes home, something Lauren's friends start to notice and question amongst themselves, wondering why an adult man is essentially living in a student apartment. That's not the only thing Lauren's friends noticed, though. No more than a week into dating, Lauren makes comments to friends that suggest Sean is controlling what she wears and who she spends time with, saying, quote, he told me to wear jeans and a t-shirt, or, quote, he told me I could invite some friends to the bar. As time passes, friends also begin to notice signs of Sean's short temper and increasingly jealous behavior. For example, he begins each phone conversation peppering Lauren with pointed questions. What are you doing? Who are you with? Where are you? He doesn't allow Lauren to attend friends' parties in case other men are present. And he becomes enraged when she doesn't respond to his calls and texts immediately, once even accusing Lauren of cheating when her phone died during a night class. On top of all of that, Lauren's friends are worried about Sean's obsession with guns and the fact that he's pressuring her to buy one to, quote, protect herself from the advances of other men, unquote, according to Jillian Friedman. Hearing all of this, I have to wonder, did her friends and family share these worries with her? None of the resources explicitly say whether or not her mom, Jill, knows anything at this point. However, I get the feeling that she didn't know based on how some of the resources are written. As for her friends, it's a sticky situation to be in as a friend. You want to protect your friend, but sometimes they're in so deep that they can't see the forest for the trees. And if they get mad and cut you off, then you can't be there for them. That seems to be the situation Alex finds herself in. She's worried about Lauren, but she's careful not to overstep, knowing how much influence Sean has over Lauren. Here's what she has to say in the Desert News article about it. Quote, I kind of hinted at it, that this wasn't normal like the controlling stuff, but I didn't want to push it only because I knew he had a lot of control over her at that point. I knew that sometimes the guy would try to manipulate the girl and cut off communication with her friends. So that's why I didn't push it. 
Alex goes on to say that Lauren, quote, was under his spell. But by the end of September, not even a month into dating, Lauren's withered before Alex's eyes. The emotional abuse and late nights from picking Sean up after his shift at the bar begin to take their toll on Lauren. According to Jillian's article about the case, Lauren, quote, looked defeated, a fragment of the confident, bubbly woman she had once been. She's lost weight and appears exhausted with dark bags under her eyes. Things get so bad that Alex and two other friends alert University of Utah housing staff about the situation behind Lauren's back, telling the staff about Lauren's unhealthy relationship with Sean and how he spends countless nights in the university apartment. But nothing comes of it. Days pass, and it's now the first week of October. Lauren takes an impromptu trip to Pullman, Washington, wanting to get away from everything going on in Salt Lake City. While she's home, she does a deep dive on Sean and uncovers the disturbing truth about the man she referred to as her boyfriend for the last month. Turns out Sean lied about everything, his name, his age, and even his past. So if Sean's not really who he said he was, who is he? Sean is actually 37-year-old Melvin Rowland, a sex offender who spent 10 years in prison and at this point in our timeline is currently on parole having been released shortly before Lauren met him. So my mind's going crazy right now. I can only imagine how Lauren felt. What did she do when she found all this out? As you can imagine, Lauren is sick to her stomach after finding out all of this information, especially the fact that Melvin solicited sex from a 13-year-old, which is the reason he spent 10 years in prison. She knows she has to end things once she returns to Salt Lake City, but she's also terrified about how Melvin will react to the news and concerned for her own safety. So when she finally returns to Salt Lake City on October 9th, she calls Alex for advice. Lauren desperately wants to end things with Melvin. But she's found herself in a tricky situation because Melvin still has her car. He used it while she was out of town. And if she ends things over the phone, he'll never return the car. And if they meet in person, he could turn violent. Alex suggests Lauren meet Melvin somewhere public, like a coffee shop. And that's the plan Lauren intends to follow until... Melvin storms through her apartment door a minute after the call ends. It turns out throughout her phone call, Melvin had been hiding outside of her window, listening to her conversation with Alex. He berates Lauren saying, you shouldn't be talking to your friends about our relationship. In response to this, Lauren confronts Melvin about his lies, telling him their relationship is over and that he should leave immediately. But he refuses to accept Lauren's decision and instead stays the night, forcing himself on her sexually whenever she tries to get him to leave. And this happens multiple times throughout the night. The following morning, Melvin takes Lauren's car to run errands. And while he's gone, Lauren receives multiple text messages from unknown numbers claiming to be Melvin's friends. One text urges Lauren to, quote, go kill yourself. But Lauren's skeptical about the origin of these texts. According to the Desert News article, the text, quote, seemed to have similar grammatical errors to those that Melvin used when texting her, giving her a hunch that it was Melvin himself sending these texts, not his friends, unquote. So the text may have been sent by other people's phones, but she felt Melvin was behind all of it. Okay, so what about the car, though? Does she get it back? She does, and it's with the help of her mom, Jill, who she fills in on the situation shortly after everything happened. Jill gets in touch with campus dispatch and requests an escort to help Lauren retrieve her car from Melvin, telling campus police, quote, I'm worried he's dangerous. 
Campus police agree to help, and Lauren gets her car back. Unfortunately, this doesn't end Lauren's torment at Melvin's hands. In fact, it's far from over. She continues receiving frightening texts from the 37-year-old sex offender and his friends. The seemingly never-ending threats fill her voicemail, social media accounts, and text messaging app, too. That is, until his friends start posting about his suicide on social media, blaming Lauren publicly for driving him to end his life. Except Melvin is alive and well, and this is all a ruse to get Lauren to, quote, come to the funeral. She doesn't fall into Melvin's trap, though. In fact, she sees right through all of his disgusting tactics. But this is more than Lauren can handle on her own. She now knows what Melvin's capable of, and it scares her. The only thing she can think to do is to turn to campus police once more, informing them of the threats. And I wish I could tell you they did something about it, but that's simply not the case. Instead, the officer tells Lauren, because nothing criminal has occurred, quote, there was nothing much that could be done. Without help from authorities, Lauren's left to deal with Melvin on her own as he escalates from threats online and via text to visits in person. Salt Lake Magazine reports that Melvin, quote, made frequent attempts, sometimes successful, to visit her, unquote, at her apartment. And I want to emphasize how terrifying this was for Lauren, who lived alone in her student apartment. Melvin works as a bouncer. He's not only buff, but he's a big, hulking, intimidating man with a criminal history. He's already sexually assaulted her and threatened her life. She truly believes that he will act on those threats. And she's alone to deal with them. Then on October 13th, Melvin tries a new tactic when he blackmails Lauren for $1,000, threatening to plaster explicit photos of the two of them all over the internet if she doesn't pay up immediately. And Lauren's heart sinks. This is a new low even for Melvin. The photos very clearly show her face, and she fears that they will derail her track in academic careers, her reputation, and even her identity as the, quote, nice small-town girl, the wholesome track star. She doesn't know what to do except Venmo Melvin the money. So she does. This prompts Lauren and Alex to go to the campus police once more, alerting them about Melvin's reign of terror, including the harassment and his recent blackmail, hoping that someone will help Lauren, that someone will protect her. She's desperate and afraid of this man who conned her into believing he was someone else entirely. But much to Lauren's frustration, the two officers who interact with her at the campus police station don't take the situation seriously. And they actually appear unfazed about all of it. In fact, they go so far as to suggest that someone may have hacked Melvin's phone and scammed her out of $1,000. And when Lauren informs the officer of Melvin's parole status, they don't do anything about it, according to her mom, Jill, who's quoted in the Salt Lake Magazine saying, quote, after the police took her statement, they could have easily found out that Melvin was on parole and put him in jail right then. I just wish a responsible adult would have listened and believed. Melvin was on parole and could have been taken into custody, unquote. Despite the lack of action on the university police officer's parts, Lauren remains firm in her position. She's afraid of Melvin and what he may do to her. So the officers eventually appease her, informing her that a detective will be in contact with her on Tuesday. Tuesday comes and it goes, and a detective never reaches out. But Officer Daras, one of the officers Lauren interacted with at the station, does contact her. And he has a strange request. Salt Lake Magazine reports that Officer Daras instructs Lauren to submit the explicit photos Melvin used in his blackmail. 
Lauren's skeptical, but does as she's told. And it turns out that Officer Jarris had no legal reason to collect the photos. Instead, he did it for his own amusement, eventually downloading the images onto his personal phone and, quote, boasting to colleagues, remarking about her looks and being cute. A fact Lauren's family learned after her death. With her pleas for help ignored again and again by the campus police and her fear growing by the day, Lauren contacts the Salt Lake City Police Department via 911 not once, but twice. She shares her concerns in two separate phone calls, the first on October 13th and the second on October 19th, where the dispatcher informs her that there's nothing that can be done on their end, since the university isn't in their jurisdiction. The dispatcher then informs Lauren that her situation must be handled through the university police. I can go on and on explaining all of this in my own words, but I think it's best to hear it from Lauren herself. I was able to find the audio for both of the conversations, and you can hear the fear and uncertainty in Lauren's voice as she asks for help, knowing the university police department isn't taking her case seriously. The calls will be played in their entirety. Any omissions were done prior to their release due to privacy, and they weren't done by us. Here's the audio from the first phone call from October 13th. Hi, I've been blackmailed um, for for money with threats of sending out. Okay. Do you live in Salt Lake or Sandy? Or? Salt Lake City. Okay. Yes. Hmm, I don't know. Uh, well, it's it's building up. Oh, so what's your mailing address? Like? So it it's um, the mailing address would be. Um, or are you up on campus? I'm up on campus, okay. but it's I guess the. So you live like on campus. One, Let me go ahead and get you over. University of Police will probably take the case. Then just one sec. I've I've talked to them already, but okay. I just wanted to call you as well. Um, cause usually if you've already reported it, usually we just take it where you live and then that agency does a case cause like if they make threats, the most likely they'll come is at your house or place. So you normally don't have to make multiple okay. reports. Did they tell you to call us or did they take a case and give you a case number? No, they didn't. Okay. But you already did talk to them and tell them about it or... Yeah, I was just concerned because I wasn't sure how long they were going to take to Are you in line for an officer to call you? Oh, file arrest. But they didn't give you a case number at all? Oh, I think they did. Hold on. Okay. Um, Do you want to talk to them and see kind of more about what's going on with your case? Um, I'm sorry, what was that? Do you want to talk to them to see what's going on with your case? Wait a minute. I think this is, yes, there's a case number. Okay, let me get you up to them so they can see what's going on with it. Just one moment. Okay. Thanks. University 911, what is your emergency? City. She's got a case number pending. Um, she's receiving additional blackmail threats. Not from her so far, but she does have a case number. She's on the line. Okay. Here's the audio for the second call from October 19th. Hi. Hi. Um, I'm just, uh, I'm worried because I, I, I've been working with the campus police 
um, at the U. Uh-huh. And uh, last Saturday I reported, and then um, and I haven't gotten an update. Okay. But but someone contacted me today. Mm-hmm. Someone who was harassed said that that they know everything about the police. Okay. So you already spoke to the campus police. Did some did this happen on the University of Utah campus? Um, yes. Yes, and they haven't updated or done anything. So the the case it involves extortion, and those people uh, are still jailing me. Okay. So have you have you notified the campus police about this? Yes, I have. Okay. And what prompted you to call Salt Lake City, please? Well, I thought it was weird that um, that, it, that there are people who know about the entire case and the harassers seem to know about it more than me. And I'm concerned there might be an insider um, who's letting them know about the, ca- the case. Okay. So with some... Because I haven't gotten an update. Yeah. And it's been a week. With something like that, you would want to contact the campus police back and ask to speak to your detective. If you're concerned, you could ask okay. to a detective supervisor. Since it's another agency's area, the Salt Lake Police wouldn't be involved. Oh, okay. All right. And then make sure you tell them what you told me, that this is, this is getting through to you from the suspects in your case. Okay. So, so the, the detective you said who I should contact? Right. Call the dispatch back and then ask to speak to your detective. Okay. Uh, Sounds good. Thank you. All right. And then if anything happens or if you see them when you're like out and about in Salt Lake City proper, not on University of Utah property, and for something Mm -hmm. like that, we'd be the best people to call. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. Okay. Thanks. All right. Thank you. Bye. In the second call... I heard Lauren mention someone, I'm assuming Melvin, was contacting her and telling her that they knew everything about her case with the campus police. Can you talk a little bit more about that? What did she mean they know everything? And is it Melvin? Well, it turns out that Melvin had somehow become privy to that information. None of the resources go into how Melvin found out, but he used this information against her in the coming days in several attempts to lure her somewhere secluded, often posing as an officer. On the same day as the second 911 recording we just heard, Lauren emails Melvin's offender information and screenshots of his continued harassment to Detective Kayla Dalliff at the campus police. The detective calls Lauren, informing her that she'd be out of office for four days until October 23rd, so she wouldn't be able to go through any of the evidence Lauren sent. However, she instructs Lauren to contact authorities if Melvin attempts to lure her somewhere again. And he does just that. It's no surprise that Melvin contacts Lauren once again on Monday, October 22nd, this time claiming to be the deputy chief of campus police, asking Lauren to go to the police station. According to the Deseret News article, quote, Lauren knew it was Melvin. So she again reports it to the police who then tell her to ignore the text, despite impersonating an officer being against the law. This would be the last time Lauren reported Melvin's stalking and harassment to the police, something she did, quote, more than 20 times, according to the Salt Lake City Tribune. 
That same day, Melvin sneaks inside the lobby of Lauren's apartment building, where he lays in wait for Lauren to return for six hours. He springs into action when he sees a smiling Lauren on the phone in the parking lot around 8.20 p.m. If you remember from earlier in the episode, Lauren's in good spirits this evening as she tells her mom about acing a quiz in her health communications class. The conversation now winds down and Lauren prepares to end the call saying, I love you, mom. When Melvin confronts Lauren with a gun as she abruptly screams, no, 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 no. Melvin physically drags Lauren across the parking lot her belongings, her laptop, phone, backpack, all of it, leaving a trail in the direction he takes her. He stuffs her in the back seat of the car he borrowed and shoots her seven times before fleeing the scene. Meanwhile, Lauren's parents, Matt and Jill, are frantic, desperate to know what happened to their daughter, hoping she's okay. They cry out calling her name, Lauren, 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 Lauren. But there's no answer and they know their worst nightmare has finally come true. Melvin has kidnapped their daughter. No more than three minutes later at 8.23 p.m., that's how fast all of this happened. Matt alerts campus police. Officers are dispatched to the scene looking for Melvin and Lauren. But Melvin is long gone and they can't find Lauren anywhere. It turns out Melvin snagged a ride from a woman he met on a dating app. The two went to dinner and eventually the woman's home in downtown Salt Lake City, where Melvin showered before she dropped him off at a nearby coffee shop. Authorities find Lauren an hour and a half later at 9.55 p.m. in the back of the car where Melvin left her. No life-saving measures were performed because she was already gone. Her track and field coach notifies the McCluskeys soon after, and their world turns upside down. News spreads about Lauren's murder, and Melvin's photo is shared far and wide as a suspect. The woman who had dinner with Melvin recognizes his photo on the news and contacts police immediately. Salt Lake City police find him shortly after midnight at Trinity AME Church. And as police entered the building, Melvin shot himself, dying instantly, never to be held legally accountable for Lauren's death. However, the man who loaned Melvin the gun he used to kill Lauren was eventually sentenced to three years in prison. The University of Utah awarded Lauren a posthumous degree in communication the following spring. But even months after Lauren's murder, the university still failed to do what was truly important, update campus safety policies to ensure the well-being of all university members. According to the university's president, an independent review of the campus police's handling of Lauren's case showed that there was, quote, not any reason to believe that this tragedy could have been prevented, unquote something Lauren's classmates, family, and even Utah State Senator Johnny Iwamoto wholeheartedly disagree with. In response to the oversight, Lauren's teammate, Brooke Martin, formed a student-led coalition called Unsafe U, which collects stories of other cases mishandled by the University of Utah's campus police. The coalition soon turned their words into action, one day before the anniversary of Lauren's death, when they staged their first protest demanding accountability from the university and its police department. All protesters were purple in honor of domestic violence, and each person shared their stories of their mishandled cases. Unsafe You weren't the only ones pushing for change. Salt Lake Magazine reports that Utah State Senator Johnny Iwamoto has a, quote, long-standing interest in dealing with public safety issues and sexual assault, unquote. As a result, many college students contacted her with the hopes of addressing issues surrounding campus safety and, quote, problems like assault, 
domestic, and dating violence and stalking. Senator Iwamoto went on to sponsor SB 134, a bill which, quote, outlines requirements and responsibilities for campus safety and requires institutions to share this information with the legislature every year in order to assess and find out what's working and what's not, unquote. SB 134 was signed into effect in 2019. Since then, the university has committed to spending $1 million on campus safety measures, including, quote, upgrades to building alarms, having police patrol outside night classes, and hiring a chief security officer to be the point person for all campus safety, unquote. In 2020, the McCluskey family sued the university for $56 million in federal court for their failure to keep Lauren safe. When asked about the lawsuit, Jill McCluskey told Salt Lake Magazine, quote, The U has never admitted that Lauren's death could have been prevented or apologized or taken responsibility for their failures. It's hard for them to change if they don't acknowledge their failures. And that has to happen going forward, unquote. To honor their daughter's legacy, Jill and Matt founded the Lauren McCluskey Foundation, which brings awareness to dating violence and stalking on campuses. Their website lists their mission as the following. Quote, our mission is to let Lauren's light shine by supporting her passions, including animal welfare, amateur athletics, and by making campuses across the country a place where students are safe, supported, and have the ability to thrive. Before we end today's episode, I want to bring us back to Lauren and who she was as a person. In Salt Lake Magazine, there's a quote from Dan Clark. He's a professor of advanced public speaking at the University of Utah. Lauren took one of his classes in one of her last semesters there. And for her final exam, students were to present what was called the last lecture. If you only had an hour left to live, what would you say? Lauren volunteered first out of the entire class. And Professor Clark states, quote, while soft-spoken, she delivered her speech in a profound way. She shared her stories about being on the track team, the thrill of victory, as well as her injuries and enduring disappointment and physical pain. Her message was one of keeping hope alive, that overcoming obstacles is part of life, and that practicing self-love is the way for you to fully love others, unquote. That's where we'll leave this episode. Until our next episode, you know where to find us at the Murder Diaries Pod on TikTok and Instagram, at the Murder Diaries Podcast.com, and the Murder Diaries Podcast Request at gmail.com. And if you haven't already, go ahead and rate us five stars. It helps us keep the good content flowing. And until then, stay safe. Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.